Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we listen to a prolific artist and songwriter who maybe not a lot of people listen to. This week we're talking about Bright Eyes slash Connor Oberst. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with Jared, David, Styler. Oh, you're gonna fight it every time. I'm not gonna. I'm last every time. I don't care. So we have our guest David here, who is our our uncle. He's our uncle David. He's not my uncle. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Me and Jared's uncle. It's true. Specifically, Mm, it's just the Robinson brothers show. That's fine. Don't put our name out there. Oh, I guess too late. It's it's a little bit too late. It can be removed, just like everything we say will be and won't be. This we were talking earlier, David and I. So I guess it won't be. That everything is safe. Take everything that. is sacred. Everything, you can, yeah. You could say you could say whatever you want. Yeah, as you long can't as... remove anything. <laughs> All right. And how do we feel about listening to Bright Eyes? I thought it was a fun time. That was a fun time. Yeah. He's he's he loves being called emo. He ah, said it. Did he? No, he said he hated it. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Well, what? It, okay, so what do you think about this music would be classified as emo? The beginning of his career. Go on. Not not bright eyes, but the other the the something whatever that band is called. Hold on, Park Avenue. No, the other one. Uh, Ocean Avenue by Yellowcorn. Yes. Yeah, that one. If I could find you now, hold on. Was it the Commander Venus? Yes. Commander Venus. Yeah, that was his first his first band, and it is described as emo. I see. I don't think so. I there's a lot to dig into with Oberst music, and I mostly got through. Personally, I mostly got through Bright Eyes and I got through his solo albums. And then other than that, I like his other bands I really wanted to dig into, but it's just there's just so much to Oberst that it's impossible to get to everything. Mm-hmm. So I think th- if people were only exposed to, you know, several of his albums, they would look at you and laugh if they you said emo because there's, right. you know, traditional folk rockabilly like more countryish, more very different than than emo and so he kind of does span the you know the the universe of sounds he mm-hmm. does absolutely and punk too oh yeah mm-hmm. and a desperacitos is that what it's called something like desperacitos that. punk desperacitos yeah desperacitos i think yeah yeah he's he's very that's why i feel like prolific is kind of the word for it is that um, he's very capable of taking on different hats and wearing them. Cowboy hat, specifically. Yeah. He, could, he could put on a cowboy hat, and I would be like, yep, okay, that sounds good. Uh, but I, I feel like there's not like a clean timeline, though, for his music, where it's not like, oh, yeah, he, you know, during this year he was doing this style of music, during this year he was doing this style of music. So, like, as a very obvious example, we have the two split albums that came out in 2005, with I'm Wide Awake It's Morning and Digital Ash and Digital Urn, where he's doing both indie electronica kind of music on one side, and then he's doing more traditional indie folk sound on the other side, and they're coming out at the same time. So it's not same like same day. Yeah, same day, exactly. So it's not as though he is just saying, Oh, okay, well in two thousand eight I'm doing indie electronica music and then by two thousand fifteen I'm in my folk realm. Like he's just kind of doing all of it all at the same time. And a lot of the music that they have came out in not a a long distance amount of time either where like his solo work was happening and has been happening ever since kind of like the late 2000s and their first album was in the late 90s mm-hmm. so it's not as though he's 
been making a ton of music in a ton of time. He's been making a ton of music in actually a pretty short amount of time. Uh, I enjoyed Bright Eyes. I had never really listened to Bright Eyes very much because I knew people that didn't. I didn't want to. <laughs> oh my god! Not that in a negative way. I actually this, had a lot. This of, again. <laughs> I had a lot of friends who listened to it, but I just uh, I don't know. They were like, "Oh, Bright Eyes and Death Cab," and I was like, "Nah." So I didn't because of Franz Ferdinand. Oh, oh this again? Please, <laughs> because no. of Franz Ferdinand. Uh, Long-time listeners will know. But it reminded me of a lot of different things, and uh, it's clear that, what as we were discussing, you can't really pin it down. You can't even pin, really, an album down, because even a lot of the albums have various sounds across the two. So, you know, they all do have a thread of, you know, some type of a folk or alt-country, mm-hmm. early alt-country coming in. Uh, but it's not the same across... Each album, it's not the same from, you know, release to release. It just kind of does its thing. And some of them are, it's weird when you get like a track that's a lot harder that just like pops out of the rest of the album. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that happens every once in a while. Well, really regularly, honestly. Harder, you mean like in tone, like more of like a punky, like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely songs that come out of nowhere that have that kind of tone to them. I agree. Yeah. A lot of times the albums are more dynamic in that respect than like the individual tracks are mm-hmm. and for me. I mean, I listened to uh, uh, what the title, the opening from the last album we listened to. The opening from People's Key. The one that has kind of like the spoken clip that was playing over it. Yeah, and then it comes into some music. And I, was, I thought it was going to build to a certain point, but it didn't. It just kind of swelled a little bit and it kind of went on and did its thing. Yeah. So... I will admit that I was surprised by some of the sounds mm-hmm. and some of the songs that it didn't really do. You know, a lot of times you can kind of predict what might happen or you want it to. And that's how they get you either they, because they give you what you want or they don't give you what you want. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you brought up an artist and I think that it begs discussing a little bit. So you brought up Death Cab, mm-hmm. which kind of falls within just this realm of like indie music, which right. was really popular in like the mid 2000s late 2000s even kind of the early 90s this kind of indie style of music was kind of developing you had acts like the shins you had acts like death cab for cutie i'm sure you could come up with a million other names iron and wine was another one that came to mm-hmm. mind that was kind of like a like lower tier bonavere is one that comes to mind fleet fox so on and so forth who Mom- had the mumford and sons mumford and sons. Yeah, that's a hair late. Of, that's too late really it, though, it is a little era. it is a little hair too late well but it it's not i mean more, it, it kind of went from indie to like folk with that, mm-hmm. though, with Mumford and with of monsters and uh, and men and mm-hmm. like groups like that. The the that, late two thousand boom where it was yeah, actually kind of popular. Perhaps more. it was bridging a gap, I would say, but I'm not, mm-hmm. it's I wouldn't say. For me, I thought about this because it reminded me of you know that I had friends that listened to it. Essentially, from like I don't know oh one oh two to oh six or seven, which is really like my, when I was in middle school. That's what this reminds me of. A lot of the indie indie stuff of that time, and that's what we're, that's really where it comes into uh, early albums from Death Cab, from Bright Eyes, from even. I mean, that's when Friends was coming around. That's when I'm just saying, uh, yeah, Modest Mouse had popular you. albums at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it stems from. You want to talk about um, the gold? You want to talk about the golden era of indie, which began mid early to mid '90s. And this is, it kind of was like a decade period. And this is like bands that came out of the end of that, mm-hmm. uh, the way that I think about it. You're talking about like the Neutral Milk Hotel kind of era of time? Mm. Well, you've got, I mean, from I, that's a period that I really enjoy. So I'm talking, I'm talking Super Chunk, Built to Spill. Mm-hmm. I'm talking ben, bands of that period. 
you know, Dinosaur Jr. had a lot of good albums over that time, even though they kind of started in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. So you have the build that, you know, a period known as the golden era of indie, which extended into the early 2000s enough to where these these people started to come out, these groups came out and kind of took the reins at the end of it into that period that I'm discussing, right, into mm-hmm. the 2000s. So I guess the question that I was that was coming out of that specifically was, what do you think makes Bright Eyes different from the rest of those names? What is it about them as a group that makes them stand out, that makes them worth talking about outside of what maybe those other groups? Like, why would we have picked them over other groups, if that makes sense? I think probably because of Connor Oberst. Okay. I think that his, like, I kind of think of him as somewhat of this generation's like Neil Young in terms of like folk songwriting kind of do it all stuff. And I mean, like with, we'll discuss the Saddle Creek records thing, but I don't know. I I think probably a lot of people can compare him to Bob Dylan as well, potentially, Mm -hmm. but I see more of Neil Young. Mm -hmm. Uh, I see see more Dylan. Discuss debate. I like that's just what I that's just what I felt more when I listened. I don't know. I don't think he comes from I mean I don't I don't know. I don't know how you differentiate anyway in in some regards between Dylan and Young other than I guess Neil Young has more focus on a some pop aspect mm-hmm. when you think about his previous musical history. And I don't know Dylan just kind of stuck to a different type of formula for it that I felt was this more closely reflected that David, what do you think more, more Dylan or more Neil as compared to Connor? Mm -hmm. That's what we're getting at here. Yeah. I I guess I highly hadn't, hadn't thought too much. I mean, I'm never been a big Neil Young fan. Right. And the way he sings, whereas with, uh, you know, with Dylan, I've, I've always liked his style and, and his songwriting and, and I haven't gotten past kind of Neil Young's way, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, when it comes to that. I, I don't know which one I get more off of. I, I would probably say more of a Dylan just because I think that he is more of a songwriter. And I don't know that, I think Neil Young is still a songwriter, but I think that Dylan is like the songwriter when it comes down to it. If you If you're thinking of who writes the best stories, who has the most interesting you know wordplay with their music it's dylan and that's where oberst kind of falls into that realm where his music is very heavily driven by the way that he writes his music and i think that that personally is what makes oberst music stand out so much compared to other ones is just the fact that his songwriting style is so um so much stronger than some of his contemporaries and the music is more eclectic as well as we've already discussed well, when you read, uh, you know, YouTube comment sections, which are gospel, right? You know, Absolutely. Yes. The, the talk would be that Connor gets, you know, thrown out there as, you know, the greatest contemporary, you know, songwriter and mm-hmm. would get compared to Dylan more yeah. so. Like Neil Young's name never gets brought up in those circles. Right. You know, and, you know, those circles is all that matters. But Absolutely. Of course. I guess if that's a criteria, I'm going to switch my choice to Cohen. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Go on. <laughs> that was sarcastic, although I like I, I although I like Cohen. But I wanted to make I do like I do like Cohen, and I think if you want to talk about in terms of songwriting and creating, I mean, he was a poet as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And his his in terms of his songwriting, it's, his songwriting was wonderful. 
as well. Anywho. And I, I realize, you know, Bright Eyes is actually a band, but right. can most people distinguish Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes, you know, by listening album to album to album, if you didn't see the titles, you know. That was actually, that's a, one of the big questions that I wanted to ask was, what do you think, because did, did anybody have a chance to listen to much of his solo work? Yeah. Yeah. Some of it. Yeah. Yes. Some, some, not, not all, but enough that you could maybe I like talk the, about it a little bit. The album that came out in 2008, the self-titled yeah. Connor Oberst album. Yes. I enjoyed that when it came out. It um, had pretty high reviews on things at mm-hmm. the time I was listening mm-hmm. and like following. Cause I, I mean, worth in, talking about for me and you specifically is that we listened to a lot of this music growing up. And yeah. that this wasn't something that like, so like there are sometimes where we pick artists that we listen to and it's like, oh yeah, this is kind of like my first time listening to this. I'm like hyper familiar with a lot of these albums because yeah. I was listening to Lifted, I was listening to Digital Ash, Wide Awake, Casadega, like not when they came out, but pretty close to when they came out. At least Casadega for sure we were at, listening at to. At least Casadega. And we sure. were familiar with Bright Eyes up to that point. Mm-hmm. But not when it had come out. Like, you know what I mean? Right. And then, but, David, you're the same way where you were listening to this. You've been listening to this for a long time. There's a reason that we asked you to be on this episode. Yeah, and I probably, you know, I probably started with, you know, with Wide Awake, worked backwards a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want to get this out here that I got, you know, mad respect for you guys of what you do for this thing because, you know, in preparing for this and listening to just saturation of an artist, it's amazing like how much work you guys put into this. It's a little much. But it was eye-opening for me to go back and kind of look at the timeline of all the stuff that he's done right. in, in an album-by-album album kind of way because I realized, you know, what I liked and what I didn't. And, you know, and in, when I put it all together, because I kept thinking, you know, oh, Connor Oberst, I love Connor Oberst, but I only like specific Connor Oberst Bright Eyes. I realize that right. and yeah. because when I look back, I don't really like anything until probably the first song is off is 2000. So that's really from mm. 93 all the way to 2000. I don't really like other than I did like some of the Park Avenue stuff because I like the girl singing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, there's not a whole that I like until the song Something Vague off Fevers and Mirrors. And that's really the only song I like off that album a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, so then, you know, I'm like, do I really like Connor Oberst Bright Eyes, if I don't even like a giant chunk of his discography, because then, you know, after that, I, you know, I liked a lot of Lifted, a lot, and mm-hmm. I really, Wide Awake is probably the first album, definitely, maybe the only album that all the way through, I like every song. And Agreed. I put it on repeat. Agreed. Um, but then, you know, after that, it gets pretty spotty on what I like, you know, and it's, yeah. and, and then there's giant chunks of time again where... I don't like him, you know, and right. which kind of was eye-opening for me because somebody would have said, "Do you like Bright Eyes?" I'd say, "Yeah," but no, <laughs> you know, in <laughs> Not some all ways, of it. yeah. There's well, there's a ton of artists that are that way where you you so I okay so this, I'll get to this question and then we circle back to where we're at here is what do you think differentiates Oberst's solo music from Bright Eyes, and then we can talk about what music I guess works for you specifically. So. Why, do you think that, I guess, my big question with this is, do you think that there's really much of a difference between Bright Eyes as an act, as a group, and then the music that he's doing on his own? Because if Bright Eyes is kind of Connor Oberst, then you would expect Connor Oberst, his solo work, to be just as strong and have the same level of acclaim, but it doesn't really. 
So what is, I guess, what's the missing piece between Bright Eyes and Connor Oberst if Connor Oberst is the major player of the solo work, if that makes sense? Probably the other two guys. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Mike Mogus and Nate Walcott. Mike Mogus actually is uh, also a part of Monsters of Folk. Because mm. there were four members of Monsters of Folk. There was Jim, Jim James, I believe, of yep. My Morning Jacket, mm-hmm. M. M. Ward. Ward of She and Him, and then Solo, and then both guys from Bright Eyes. I really liked that album, if anybody listened to the Monsters of Folk yeah, album. I remember it, when it came out, and uh, David, you didn't like it? I did not. No, oh, I, I thought you song. liked it at the time. I didn't. I thought oh. I did, too. I Like somebody said, you like Monsters of Folk? I'd be like, oh, yeah. But yeah. now that I've listened to it, I only like one song, the um, Sandman, Breakman, and, and he didn't even sing on that one, really. So, <laughs> oh, yeah? You know, and like the rest of the album, I just kind of I didn't really. Did you not like Jim James that much? No. I mean, huh. I just don't like the song. Like, you know, I, I say I don't like it, but... If I had to listen to, I mean, I'll, any given day on the radio, I'm listening. I spend all day listening to stuff I don't like because I'm in a car with somebody. I would rather listen to that, you know, most of this stuff than that. But right. if I'm going to pick a stuff that something that Connor is part of, I would go back to the ones I like. <laughs> and it would be Monsters of Folk. That makes sense. Um, but, you know, I agree that there, there are, I mean, there's obviously a creative output that comes out of the other two members of Bright Eyes, but I guess they're just not very well recognized. I think so. that his, like the Bright Eyes is more folk than what Connor Ober's stuff is. Because mm-hmm. like the um, what, Ruminations, is that the, the album that came out? Well, there was it, the, what's the, other the self-titled and then the next one was Upside Down Mountain, then mm-hmm. Ruminations, then Salutations. Uh, well, Salutations is like an accompaniment. Like it was basically B-sides or something like that. Uh-huh. But... I, I didn't, I don't know. It's more like a piano driven record than folky. There are some folk songs. Lots on, of harmonica on Ruminations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of harmonica. <laughs> Which, you know, that makes it for me, you know. But on the self titled album that came out in 2008, I liked the tail end of it a lot. I liked I Don't Want to Die in Hospital. Mm-hmm. Good song. Mm-hmm. And New York City Gone Gone. That's a very good folky, quick song. But don't you get the sense that whether it's Bright Eyes or any of the other ones he's a part of, that if if he didn't like the way a song came out, it wouldn't have made it on the album. Yeah, like, that's probably like true. He, right. Like, it's, I mean, it, in a lot of ways, he, and, you know, we're not there in the studio with him and mixing and all that, but you get the sense that he's the one that decides how something's going to end up getting put and what's released. Yeah. he's. I mean, he's kind of the creative the creative mastermind behind what he is doing pretty across the board, which I think is, incre- I think that's really important for the the sake of knowing where he comes from. Like we talked about is that his music has been released since that his music has been released since what he was like 13, 14 yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. So I, in that sense, I guess true to the word, you know, the indie nature, he's had complete control you know, I, we would assume complete control about what gets put out and not, right. You know, most artists, today that's not the you know the record company or whatever has a lot to do with the way something ends up the sound that ends up coming out and you just get the sense from what time he was 13 years old until now he's had complete control over what gets put out there good or bad and he's fortunate that he's on a label that you know he's personal ties so how could you not but you know smaller labels will allow you to do that in a way that a larger label won't allow to you to do that. Put out so, basically everything you've ever written. Right. For the most part. Like. Yeah. And, um, the, you know, the, he's going to have a touch in everything he does, which I find, I think it would probably be an interesting dynamic to see how he worked with the other members of bright eyes, considering the fact that 
you know, he'd already been creating music prior to, you know, and conceiving things, you know, and it'd be also interesting to, con- to see like what he conceived during the Bright Eyes era mm-hmm. that he held on to for, you know, a solo career or, you know, because a lot of times you come up with ideas and you come up with songs that either you understand that there's a certain thing you're going for in this group and so you hold off or you think it's an expression that's going to be, you know, it's not going to come out right over here so you hold off. So I think those are interesting things that I, me personally, if I had an opportunity to speak with him, I think that would be really interesting to figure out. Yeah. Um, I also think the, worth noting too, so David, you talked about the fact that the music that really kind of stood out to you didn't start happening until like the year 2000, is that he was born in 1980 and he's been making music for that long. And so the bright eyes that you're getting from, you know, 90, what was it, 93, that they first started releasing music under the Bright Eyes moniker when they did the collection of songs? That would have been like 95. 95. 96, 95. 95 to 97, yeah. Yeah, so he was only like 15 years yeah. old, you know? Like, even then he was making, you know, listenable music, but he wasn't making, like, great music. But, you know, it, it took him to be a 20-year-old for him to be making, like, really really fantastic music which makes sense yeah it was you know when when i'm wide awake it's morning which is you know arguably their best album i would imagine probably i don't know if everybody feels this way yeah i'd agree i would probably say yes okay so which is a pretty universal feeling is that his best album came out when he was 25 years old so like you know he's still making music today so like for example the he had the album that came out this year with better better oblivion community center is that right the way that is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I was making sure I said it right. That was with Phoebe Bridgers. Is that right? That's oh, also correct. Okay, I'm just making sure that everything that's in my head is correct. Yes. Um, that that came out this year, and so he's still making you know music today, and he's not even like he's not even 40 years old yet. Right. So well, well there's you know I'm a one of my an artist that I'm a personal big fan of who this reminds me of is Bonnie Prince Billy who we talked about a couple times. Yeah. Who did a similar thing, and he and he does this thing where he has a solo. Now he didn't. He's been in bands, you know, but not for more than one or two albums type situations. And his most of his career has been a solo or, you know, he does collaborative work for an album or a certain little project or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's what it reminds me of. And there are people who do. And that's what's interesting is as a solo artist, you have the opportunity as well to do a collaborative experience and bring someone else in to make your sound differently. And you can just do it whenever you want to. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, and you can bring what you choose to bring to the table and let them bring what they choose to bring to the table. And you can have those experiences continually. You know what I mean? And that and so with the ability to make all of this... <laughs> to make all this music, it's, you know, it stems from a freedom that you have in certain aspects that he's, that he's been allowed. So it's... I don't know. It's really interesting to see artists like that and to see what, what type of transformation they make. Because for... Bonnie Prince Billy, a lot of say his best album came out in 99. Mm-hmm. And he's still making music today as well mm-hmm. in a similar situation. So lots of, lots of fun to have, be had. Jared? I think we should play a song. We've talked to for a long time. I was going to do that after Tyler's oh, thought. Oh, so. my gosh. I was wow. Birds, say, b- brothers of a family. <laughs> I was going to say, we're about 20 minutes deep, oh, and we boy. have not played almost any of the Bright Eyes uh, music. Bye. So does anybody want to pick a favorite song? Also, now would be a good time to say, <laughs> we forgot to mention Dax isn't here again. We know it's he's his, not here. It's Everybody his, knows. It's as Actually, though we have just forgotten he's we, a part of the show. We could either play a favorite song or I have a boo-boo-boo-boo-boo. Let's, oh, do, let's, do, let's a do a favorite song. Let's do a favorite song first. I wonder which, 
wonder if we have the same. Oh, I hope so. Jared, since you asked for the music, why don't you give me the music? What's your favorite song? All right, I'm gonna say my favorite song is Four Winds. It reminds I me. I knew it. It reminds me a lot of uh, the song Changing of the Guard by Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. just in terms of like the it reminds the you story. Who? The song Changing of the Guard. Who's by Bob Dylan? Dylan. Oh, Bob that's, Dylan. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> but it it's like the structure of the song. And the way that, like, the the beat of it in terms of, like, it being a fast-paced, like, story um, kind of thing. I, I don't mm. know. But that, I, that's a good song, too. I Changing knew the you were going to pick Four Winds. I was trying there to was f- no I, world where I you didn't know, pick Four Winds. I know. It's, I, it's a great song. I love it very much. But I like a lot of the other stuff. Sure. Um, and I, I, I do want to talk about, like, uh, this, the songs, the singles, mm-hmm. and um, how I like those things. But the albums, I'm not, you know. But let's play my song. Do that. You clash your cast your country, set your name or your child. There's people always dying, trying to keep them alive. There's bodies decomposing in containers tonight in an abandoned building where the squad has made a mural of a Mexican girl with 15 cans of spray paint in a chemical swirl. She's standing in the ashes at the end of the world for winds. You guys think that maybe that he's labeled emo because he just sounds like it when he sings? It's worth talking about his voice. He has. I we talked to to Dax, our dearly departed Dax, and he said something to the effect of that it sounds like he has like a tack stuck in his shoe, and then he just always sounds really upset over wow. everything. That's not, my mother described a singer to me once that way. She said he just sounded like he had his foot in a bear trap the whole time. <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, good question. It was uh, Jared Folliwell from Kings of Leon. Oh, yeah, uh, he does, on he the, does. On, but it, it was is, when he switched on uh, because of the times. Uh, well, his brother put him in that bear trap because they got a, a, a feud like it was. Which, which brother? They got Deuce. Dose Brothers? Dose Brothers, one cousin in the group. That's true. I don't want to talk about it. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> you know you're Kings of Leon. I like the first oh, three albums, man. and then they just made me. You're wearing a Zach Brown Band shirt. Shut your mouth. And I saw them this past weekend at a festival, and they hey. did a cover of You Somebody by oh, that sounds Kings old. of Leon. That's, so it's no. full circle right full now. Full circle, no. except for the fact that none of it has to do with Bright Eyes. A little bit, maybe. <laughs> a little bit, maybe. Anyway, anywho, yeah. So you want to talk about the singles, like the yeah, like the songs that I knew growing up from yeah from Lifted on. Yes. So that's the the first my first memory of you know or like experience with Bright Eyes is from those songs. I think yes. And I don't know where. So I know I know I think I know your tracks pretty well. So well, I mean, from Lifted, I know that you know Bowl of Oranges and Lover. I don't laugh to love. Oh yes. And then Wide Awake, It's Morning. Obviously, you've got at the bottom of everything. And first day of my life. First day of my life. Yes, I was looking through Digital Ash and a Digital Urn. Nothing. I think that nothing. You, really, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. Not even Easy Lucky Free. I mean, I only know it because you had the CD that you got at a yard sale. That's uh, a pretty okay. good song. It's a good. I'm it's not good closer. I, they I'm, have I'm not, really I'm, good closer. They're just ones that I knew. That's that's sure. why not. I mean, I like all of them. Yeah, but like the I don't I don't know where we saw these music videos. Was it like Fuse or something? Where did we see these videos? I don't know because I thought that they were a big like I thought they were popular. Right, but they're not. But I don't think they are. No. Because I looked and they have no hit singles. Yeah. Like n- nothing. Not even close. Should not have. even close. I mean, yes, probably. I 
that's interesting because you know I, you so did you see any singles off of either of the two, oh five albums that you recognize from you know well he just said the one from i'm wide awake in this morning yeah the right. the one that i would have thought would have been an actual single is at the bottom of everything because that one i remember that music video very clearly i remember seeing it at some point mm-hmm. it's a song that stands out pretty heavily and it's an an album that's pretty well received so how is yeah. it that that song wouldn't have been a single i just don't i don't think at that time there was those kind of songs were getting airplay. radio play i just those the stations didn't really exist anymore that, yeah, like VH1 wasn't playing it. MTV wouldn't have played it. Not they no. I mean, Fuse would have. Music a long time ago. Fuse would have played it. That, I, that's what time. I'm thinking. So that would have been where you had to. That's but do you remember anything from anything? Do you remember anything before that at all? No. No. I don't know. Like, I mean, I know now because I've listened to it. Like, I feel like growing up listening to Bright Eyes, but no, nothing before Lifted did I know. I mm. feel like, um, <laughs> I feel like some of this music has become. Reevaluated to be better than they people initially thought it was, mm. and I wonder if that's not part of it. Because I noticed when I was looking at some stuff that that Fevers and Mirrors is rated like a five four on Pitchfork, but then upon yeah. reissue, it's rated like a nine <laughs> nine zero. Right, because and that's actually their highest rated of him, all of them. And they're they're going back and be like, oh, I like him. Well, yeah, or they <laughs> yeah. get someone else has reviewed it yeah. on that, you know. But sometimes, and that's that. I mean, that's not rare that people will look back and say, oh, well, actually, you know what, this was way better than we thought it was. Right. So I'm not. I'm wondering if maybe that's not something that has kind of happened. And a lot of uh, review things that I've seen really are enjoying um, Connor Ober's like albums that have come out. Like Rolling Stone gave his um, solo, solo albums like really good reviews and stuff. So I think yeah. that they're kind of like backpedaling kind of in terms of, hey, this wasn't as critically acclaimed. Like, I, But they liked um, Bright Eyes stuff. I just don't know if it, it just didn't get super popular or big or whatever. But so now they're trying to like, figure out a way to, oh, this guy is good. Yeah, like, he's he's 39 now. We might have yeah, like, missed out we on something I'll now. tell you, it, I find it weird, too, because a band that, that I was reminded of, especially in the middle of the Bright Eyes discography, was a band called The Books, which I mentioned to you guys earlier, who is kind of a... I, like, Funkatronic is a word I've seen used, but they use a lot of clips from spoken word and various things like that. Various different sound, like, kind of... They have banjo sounds and guitars and cello, and they overlay a bunch of things. And so, and the three of their first albums, which were, I think, spanning from, you know, 2000 to 2007, maybe, were all critically acclaimed and well accepted when they came out. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, if anyone else had listened to the books prior to listening to this, I'm wondering if they would have drawn, because really, out of all of the bands I think about that I find elements of in Bright Eyes which is some shins in the later stuff, even a little bit of Arcade Fire in the later stuff. Mm-hmm. And the books are really a group that I find is I feel most closely relating to these two. Mm-hmm. And yet one group maybe had had an acclaim at the time and the other group not so much. And now upon you know retroflexion, it's a little bit different. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What a ponderer. What a ponder indeed. This is, uh, it's worth bringing up. So David, you had a point that you wanted to talk about was the idea of if this had come out at a different point in time in history, how would it have fared? Yeah. I just found it kind of interesting. I mean, I 
kind of got into the music scene, you know, fortunate enough to be old enough when Oxford's uh, WXY 97X was in its heyday of alternative college rock in the early 80s. And, and look, you know, thinking about the bands that I was listening to on that radio station that you never got to hear anyplace else, you know, and if some of the like, definitely Wide Awake, maybe even an album before that, um, if it would have came out at that time, I think he would have fit right in with Violet Femmes, 10,000 Maniacs, um, R.E.M., and it would have played right alongside of that and, and been seamless in my mind anyway. Um, and he, and it, his career trajectory probably would have been a little bit different than it was 15 years later coming out mm-hmm. when college radio stations had pretty much gone away to be absorbed into popish, you know, everything's kind of muddled together and, and his kind of stuff really wasn't, you know, being put in, in mainstream radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and then along with that, like what if he would have, if he would have came later, you know, if, if you, the fact that some of these early out in the collections, he was, he was age 15 to 17 writing music and playing guitar and putting out, you know, qu- quality music, right. you know, not the greatest, but, but definitely if he would have been in an era where people had their own, you know, YouTube stations and, and he put himself out there playing his own stuff, doing that, who knows what kind of viral you know, he could have gone and, and, and ended up on one of the shows. Now he might not have the personality for that kind of thing. And his parents may not right. have pushed him for it, but, but, you know, we're talking ifs like right. his, just the fact that he came, you know, he, his music kind of, you know, 93, 13 year old is when he began that time didn't really lend itself to the explosion of, of mainstream kind of stuff that he could have gotten, you know, based on the kind of music he played, you know, if it would have been earlier or later, you know, I just found that kind right. of fascinating. Well, the interesting thing too is, is that around that time, really his only option was like cassette tapes. Yeah. That was where a lot of his music was put. And that's still like the, really the only way to access that music other than like now YouTube. Like at the time you really only had access to like the select few of cut like cassette tapes that he was making himself. And so there was, I think of this time from like the, in like the nineties, around that time maybe less so but like the 2000s especially where there's kind of some growing pains to music in general where the and even today now where you don't see this kind of music being a mainstream thing you didn't see really indie rock music being so much a mainstream thing until like later 2000s like we're talking with mumford and sons and of monsters and men where you didn't hear this kind of music on the radio and prior to then we didn't have an option for where to listen to like you said we had fuse where we could listen to a little bit of stuff but it wasn't somewhere it wasn't accessible it wasn't music that you could just easily find it was indie music that was kind of the whole idea behind this the genre was was that it was independently made it was hard to get a hold of and it was music that wasn't necessarily like within the mainstream so yeah, that's why we got lucky in the late '90s with like the explosion of independent labels. Yeah, for distribution. Oh well, I mean, if you want to really get into it, Discord has been distributing independent music from the DC era since the mid '80s. Oh, he wants to get into it. But whatever. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't. Maybe just one more. Of the you know, the guy who started the label, Yamakai Fugazi, great guy. Great guy. That, Loved listening that is to all. it when we listened to it. It was great. <laughs> that is all. Go back to that yeah, episode. That uh, I know it was, it was and, phenomenal. Uh, some I know people it, liked it. Some people it's didn't. I'll let you guys figure it's out It's unfortunate who. that you didn't appreciate it. I liked the Fugazi episode. Jared, I know you week. did. Oh, I but loved Jared. It. You know I loved it. 
Anyways, shame. Anyways, but no, I the other thing that I think is so going back, I agree. I think that had Bright Eyes existed in the '80s, even maybe even the '70s, it would have been a big deal. Mm. I think it would have been a huge deal because folk music was pretty important at that point in time. Folk music really didn't start to become more important until, you know, really around when Bright Eyes was making music. It wasn't like there was a lot of. I can't think of like a big name in folk music in the '90s. You know what I mean? Can you can anybody think of anybody? Well, James Taylor was making a lot of new music in the '90s that was pretty popular, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's I'm, you maybe get pretty close to there. Pretty I don't poppy know. folk though. It was, yeah. <laughs> Paul Simon did yeah. some stuff. Yeah, he did. You know, Art Garfunkel has a song called "Bright Eyes," and I'm wondering if maybe uh, that's where they got their name from. No, the name know. of the lyric. I didn't couldn't you hear. I couldn't find what. Did you hear the? Did you listen to the early recordings? Uh, yes, of course. You heard the lyric then, the "Bright Eyes" lyric. Oh, yeah. Where it said it in the lyric. <laughs> Oh, that lyric. It's like that point in the movie where they say the name of the movie, and you're like, oh, that's where they got the name of the movie that's from. That's right there. Con it. Air. <laughs> Ooh, we got, we've only played one song so far. Let's hear another one. David, do you have a favorite Bright Eyes song? You had to guess. What would you think? Your favorite? Yeah, what do you think? I'm curious. <sighs> oh, man. Yours is harder to pick. Bowl of Oranges. Nope. Um, and I'll give you a hint. Okay, it's, please. it's surprisingly not off of... It's not wide, off wide, of wide awake. It's morning. Yeah. Can you give me the album? Lifted. It is off of Lifted. Okay, so it's not Bolt Oranges. Is it Lover? I don't have to love. Nope. Dang it. What is it then? I would love to hear some of Waste of Paint. Ooh, okay. My, my favorite song. Waste of Paint it is. I have a friend who's mostly made of pain. He wakes up, tries to work, and straight back home again. He once cut one of my nightmares out of paper. Oh, I thought it was beautiful, I put it on a record cover. And I tried to tell him that he had a sign. So, uh, if you've ever dabbled in writing songs yourself, you know, there's always those songs out there that you're like, man, I wish I would have written that. You know, that'd be the kind of song I would write. Yeah. Um, this kind of sticks out for me. Uh, Long December by Counting Crows. That's always been one. Man, I wish I would have written that song. It's, yeah. Good but, song. but this just the, you know, when I think of, we were talking about, you know, how to describe him or whatever. And mm-hmm. if I, if I had to use three words, it would be like lyrics, inflection mm-hmm. and emotion. Like you put those three together, that's him, you know, to me in in my mind. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like, so I think Lifted is a really interesting album too. It's worth talking about since you bring it up. And especially after I listen to it, there's something really raw about that album that feels like a traditional, like even like a 1940s folk (laughs) album. Like it just feels like traditional old folk to me. And it, I feel like that album in particular, it has some other moments. So like you have like Lover I Don't Have to Love, which obviously is a little bit more in that like Indietronica kind of sound. But there's a lot of tracks off of Lifted that like, like one that stands out to me is Don't Know When But A Day's Gonna Come. That's the one that stood out to me on that That's album as well. That's yep. a, yeah. And it's a song that like, it just feels very old. It feels very timeless. It, like so I think Lifted is a very underrated Bright Eyes album for sure. I really liked... Um... Let's not shit ourselves to love and to be loved. It's like a ten minute. Oh, it's yeah. very. It's like Desolation Road, except sped up. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's great. It, like it didn't. It didn't like drag. It's a ten minute song that didn't drag. Yeah, that, right. like, that's yeah. impressive. N- another Dylan comparison. I think you're. Uh, <laughs> I think you know. Oh, <laughs> I think that you. I think you. I think you misspoke initially. I just wanted to talk about Neil Young a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
if you've heard any interviews with him, he'll bring up, you know, anxiety, depression, stuff like that, which, you know, for somebody that obviously spends a lot of time with introspection and just thinking deeply about all his own thoughts and emotions. No wonder, man, some of these songs, like he's like, maybe the rest of us, we could spend a week where we don't think about much deep stuff because we're so busy with our, you know, just doing normal stuff. And he's sitting there just deep in his own head and pouring it out on a, on a song. What what (laughs) else is there to do in Omaha, Nebraska? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What? Hey, uh, Omaha is the stuff, man. It's where Tim, Tim Casher from cursive is from as well. It was, it was, it was, they were trying to make them blow up, both of them. So on that note, actually, really quickly, did anybody, so everybody listen to Fevers and Mirrors. Yeah. Did the track, yes. an attempt to tip the scales, stand out to you guys at all? And if not, I can, maybe, I'll play a little clip from it and then I'll. Yeah, play it. Okay, I'll play a little clip. So talk a little bit about some of the symbolism. The fever? Sure. Well, the fever is basically whatever ails you or oppresses you. It could be anything. In my case, it's my neurosis, my depression, but I don't want to be limited to that. It's certainly different for. He's very open about <laughs> it on his music. Oh yeah, these things, and so there. I that was something that really stood out to me was that track where you not only could get the sense that that was something that he was like ruminating on and thinking about in his music, he was very blunt on the album and saying, this is what I was thinking about on the album. I'm thinking about my neurosis. I'm thinking about my depression. But uh, since you brought it up, I thought that was, it was interesting. that, that Yeah, was, I, I would recommend anybody to go and listen to that song on there because it's a very interesting kind of tongue-in-cheek interview, you know, kind of thing. It, good stuff <laughs> yeah yeah it was I, it stood out to me quite a bit like and, and especially because i i don't know if other people felt this way and I, i'll actually go ahead and transition into my favorite track by bringing this up uh their closing tracks are always really 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 good i don't there wasn't a an album that i didn't think had a song that ended really well off of lifted you have uh let's not shed ourselves jared's song that he said stood out a lot you had digital ash was easy lucky free which was really good lime tree off of casadega is really really good um and then of course my favorite song which is off of i'm wide awake it's morning which is road to joy just in general for whatever reason they close their albums really really well so i'm gonna play that now the sun came up with no conclusions flowers sleeping in the beds, the city cemeteries humming. I'm wide awake, it's morning. I have my drugs, I have my woman. They keep away my loneliness. My parents, they have their religion, but sleep in separate houses. That's a good line. It, I always really liked that line. I like uh, the emotional line from the song, mm-hmm. where it gets all loud. That's the fun. Oh, part. when he puts in his, it's best to join the side that's gonna win part. <clears throat> when he says, "Fuck it, let's make some noise." Oh, that that one's good too. Yeah, there's a lot of energy on that track. It, that's when I think that you're talking about where you get a little bit of like some punk elements. Yeah, really, like, you get a little bit in there. That's mostly bit. just a bunch of noise in a good way. Yeah, I like good, it. Some I think good uh, noise. old uh, dashboard probably gets some of his you know, song kind of formations mm-hmm. from, you know, Old the whole, dashboard. the whole, you know, dashboard confessional in case you didn't pick a line, but <laughs> how, you know, you start off singing real slow uh-huh. and bright eyes does a lot of that. And then at some point you just 
you know, up the octave and, and go loud for a while. Right. Um, that, I mean, I think every desk room song is like that, but not, <laughs> oh, yeah. not every bright eye song, but when it, he does it pretty often. Yeah. I, I, I think that that speaks to the emotion point that you brought up is just that he, you can tell that there is a lot of emotive, like elements to the way that he's performing his, like, in his vocals and that he, he sounds sad when he's singing something sad. He sounds happy when he's singing something ha- like when you listen to a song like um, First Day of My Life, like he just sounds like a happy dude when he's singing mm-hmm. the song. And like you feel the emotion that's coming. It's, it's like ruminating off of the way he's performing it. And so like when he's emotional, you feel that emotion. So when he sings something soft, he's saying something that means to feel that way. And when he starts getting really loud, he's saying something for a reason, I guess. That song's quite clearly the the most popular. And like, I don't even need to look at numbers. When I was listening to that album, I go, "Well, this is the most popular album." And when I heard that song, I go, "Well, this is the most popular song." And then I went to the Broad Eyes page. I'm like, "Yep, yeah. there it is by like a hundred thousand listens or something." It's the most popular song. Yeah. So. Oh wow! It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow! First day of my life you is like a 120 really... million. Yeah, yeah, that's a oh my gosh, that's a lot of a that's a huge difference. Uh huh. Called it with my ears. Is that off of something? Well, it gets used, I think, yeah, for you know programs and different kinds of things because it ties in with you know life events and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But just the just listen to the sound of it. Let's play. I mean, it. It's clear. Jared, you got oh, something to say? I think that the ghost of Dax just came to me in a fever dream. <laughs> that's, that's the one you want to badoop boop? Oh, yeah. I go oh, to uh, man, I play a better, the song. A uh, different badoop boop than that. Me or Us. It's a new song. I'm going to let you hear a little bit. Play it. Who you lie to? That's young thug, everybody. Well, that's, I don't know what to think about it. <laughs> that's fair. It also kind of sounds. I, I mentioned this the other day. It sounds like Death Cab. Oh yeah, um, uh, it's um, love of mine. Yeah, it, uh, I will follow you into the dark. dark. Right, I will follow you into the dark. Yeah, yep. Yep, which the is one. the least Death Cab Death Cab song, really. It really is kind of a weird. This song reminds me of a better version of. Every uh, not blues John Mayer wannabe song from 2008. <laughs> That's a very specific thing, but well, all right. it, was, it was a part of my life. Waiting on the world well, to change. Yes and no. No. Oh. I, I could give. You, I have to get a little playlist for you, so you can see all the junk songs I'm talking about. Please. But I had a badoo. Oh, but it wasn't that. Go ahead. My badoo. My badoo was from Caleb's song, "Road to Joy." Yeah, you can just play the beginning of it. Okay. And I don't know how none of you noticed didn't notice this. So you get the badoops? Nope. Go ahead. You don't get the badoops. It's Ode to Joy by Beethoven. <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously. A, yes. That's not a badoop. It's a direct. 
That's why I was like, why didn't you get it? That's what the music is, and that's a, the I pun on the name. Let's do it. You, I thought you were going to do a play off like a no, famous art. Like, it was completely obvious. Yes, it's got, yes. that's what he was. But I'm like, that's why I'm like, why didn't you? I thought I thought there was something more to it, but we're yeah. gonna do it anyway. Mad at Beethoven. This will be our first time. Let's play a little bit of Beethoven. Yeah. I'm not doing it. Oh, we're doing it because guess what? What? I like Bach more. Oh, we're playing the Beethoven. Come Listen, on. Listen, the whole classical era is just over. I'm turning up the music. Baroque, romantic, good. Classical, it's man. First moment in record round table where we play classical music. If I had my way, we'd be listening to Dvorak, but no, you all won't let me do it. Oh, is that like the, the, that's the guy that did the, the, he let you die, what? right? That was a weird joke I'm feeling. You don't talk about No. The guy that, oh no, that's Kevorkian, I'm sorry. Anyways. Okay. Anyways. Um. Cut that, cut that. Just cut the whole thing out. <laughs> cut the whole if thing. If I I'm listening to this episode and I hear Beethoven, I'm gonna throw. So a would fit. would this be a good time to like double back and and talk about? We've kind of alluded to the fact that like you know he's put out a ton of music under different kinds of things, and, right. and to some extent we we kind of touched on how that was possible, mm-hmm. um, and the the fact that basically his brother, an older brother, kind of started a label, yeah. you know, as a as a project, like and and that was how his first little 13 year old album got, you know, was able to get, you know, you know, recorded and, and released and all that kind of stuff. And then it mm-hmm. went on from there mm-hmm. um, to become the what, Saddle Creek records mm-hmm. and, and give him the opportunity basically to put out everything he ever wanted to put Whatever out over the want, next, yeah, however many years Whatever he puts um, out. to the point now where I think um, we talked about this before. Like, I think I asked you how many, you know, songs that he has that have been released that he had something to do with or you know and it was upwards possibly in the 250s at this point maybe maybe more that was just what's on the spotify yeah just what's on spotify and, and that's so, not including the the stuff that he had when he was younger on the, the cassette tapes that which aren't means on spotify he's approaching if not have already reached somebody like willie nelson who's considered prolific and and he has like 300 and some you know or more written songs that have been recorded um and I've tried to find it, but I didn't find it. Like I've heard interviews with Willie talking about how he has written thousands and thousands and, and yet only a certain portion have ever been released. And, and I've seen really, or, you know, interviews with Connor. He's talked about how he's written a thousand songs and I, yeah, I guess maybe that's true, but you just get the sense that at least the first 200 are the first 200 songs he wrote. <laughs> and he wrote all, a song, he put it out. And, and they all got released that. because he had opportunity. And yeah. and the fact that, you know, a lot of this stuff was age 13 to 17. And there's a good reason we talk, you know, there's a good reason why we don't hear what somebody produced age 13 to 17, unless they're, right. uh, uh, you know, there's a few acts out there that we know, you know, who they are, that they were great as, as young people. They didn't necessarily write their own stuff, you know, but some did. And, but it's rare, you know, usually, age 13 to 17 that's not your best material and no. and he put it all out there it doesn't even get recorded it doesn't even get released like you don't go back and like think about 15 artists that you like and you probably don't know anything that they did at age 15 right. you know it's just you know kind of an odd odd thing and, and it just kind of shows his career trajectory he had the opportunity to just put out there every single thing he ever did and it's not a path that everybody takes no it's not, not a path that everybody and that's takes. another you know Saddle Creek is another part of putting Omaha on the map 
Mm-hmm. They're trying to, and that's a good label. Because, uh, well, of course, Broad Eyes, and he was on there. Cursive's on there. Cursive's on there, Tim Cash. All three of the Hopalongs albums. Really? On Saddle Creek, absolutely. Didn't Ooh. they start off, they only allowed, like, Omaha-based Probably, people, yeah. and then it sort yeah. of branched a little bit. Yeah. After. It took a while, you know, to allow more people. Never in, thought in we'd nine, mention Hopalong on the show. I'm so happy. 19, I love Hopalong. 1995, there's an album put out on Saddle Creek Records by an indie rock band called Smash Mouth. But it wasn't that Smash Mouth. Uh, oh, okay. I was going to say. <laughs> Smash Mouth. If you indie rock band. somehow swung a, sw- a Smash Mouth like, fact into this episode, I would have been, I, that would have been the end of the show. We would have been done. I feel, like done. feel like I already am done. That is none that you've done that. <laughs> Big Thief is on there, by the way, as well. Ooh, I like Big Thief as well. Why don't you, Did you ever uh, listen to Big Thief? No, he's never listened to Big Thief. Listen to Big never Thief. never heard like, him. He'd like Big Thief. Who hasn't? Tyler's the only one who has not played. A I haven't song. played a song. Oh, yeah, I, you're wanted, right. I wanted to briefly say, you know, I really enjoyed. I wanted. I, I think when talking about uh, periodically liking, um, or you know, by album, liking this stuff, I feel like I had there was an era there, the early era of Bright Eyes that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So, Fevers and Mirrors and Lifted and I'm Wide Awake, I think, are all albums that I don't think I could choose between them if I had to. Okay. They're all really, really good. I'm glad that you enjoyed Fevers and Mirrors. Fevers and Mirrors is really, an album that's that was... a really was, good album. It, it was not really well... Okay, so you know... Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't. Uh, I only enjoyed really one song off that. Yeah, that's Man. fair. I, I liked a lot of it, what was doing, what they were doing on that one. I especially really liked the tail end because of the, you know, everything kind of wrapping sure. up the way that it did, but... Um, my, my song is on that album, actually. Yeah. And my song is The Calendar Hung Itself. That's a good song. Does he kiss your eyelids in the morning when you start to raise your head? And does he sing to you incessantly from the space between your bed and walls? You walk around all day at school, his feet inside your shoes, looking down every few steps to pretend he walks with you. Oh, does he know that place below your neck is your favorite to be touched? And does he cry through broken sentences? That song kind of has a little bit of seeing how his vocal delivery does a lot for what the music says and the cadence too. He knows where to put certain pauses just to make something sound a certain way, mm-hmm. which is really sometimes difficult to figure out because you're not following a standard cadence of a line to line necessarily. And it makes it more interesting. And he'll, he'll often enunciate like different parts of a word than you're used to. And it really makes that word stick out. And yeah. maybe that's just his accent or something, mm-hmm. but it sure comes out. Yeah, it does. Do you remember the song? Uh, I think we should talk about this. And it's not really relevant now, not that relevant, but you remember the song When the President Talks to God? I do! You That's play, a really good play, song. Play a little bit of that tune. That's a, it's an, a 2000, around 2008 uh, George W. Bush protest song. It's, it's very, very good. Let's do it. When the president talks to God, are the conversations brief or long? Does he ask to rape our women's rights and send poor farm kids off to die? Does God suggest an oil hike when the president talks to God? When the president... Does this mean, was that, was that a prairie Bob Dylan right there? <laughs> it's not cold outside, it's just windy. 
What's that? What's that one Bob Dylan protest song that everybody likes? All of them. Oh yeah, <laughs> all of them. <laughs> I don't know. He doesn't really have many. Like Brightus is not known for their uh, their protesty songs. No. They certainly like talk about interesting things on their in their music, and I don't feel like their lyrics are. Um, We're not in that era anymore. Hmm? You don't you don't always protest in a protest song. Hmm. Sometimes you just weirdly state some things. Weirdly state some things yeah. with God on our side. That's I, the song I'm thinking of. Oh, okay. Which is similar. I think that it, probably he takes some some cues from that song. I would think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. Oh, I thought you were talking about the times they are changing because that's really the one that fits with your description. Mm. Well, I mean, they both talk about God. I think that's what I'm getting at there. But yeah, yeah. I I feel I feel pretty good. Does anybody have any closing thoughts that they have at this point? Do you want to, uh, you know, you mentioned it, but you know the fact mm. that he. Uh, is doing current work with this, you know, better oblivion community center. Phoebe Bridgers, what I think yeah. is a brilliant move to pair himself with this, you know, fabulous singer songwriter. And, yeah. you know, I, I listened, finally listened to the whole thing and, you know, not every song is, is great, but the two of them together, it's very interesting. It's good, you know, good stuff. The Dylan Thomas is the best song on there. I think anyway, um, if you've, if you've heard any of that, um, you want to play a little bit of that? I do. Uh, yeah. It's a good. It's, it's a, trending right now. Yeah, it's a is good it? One. Yeah, it's his like number two song. If you just go to him, it's oh, it's just go to him. click his name right there. I Connor Oberst. I, well, why? Hold on. Okay. okay. Scroll down. Isn't it up there? It it is. Uh huh. Trending. It's got five million songs or listens. Five million songs. Five million, million songs. Million song. It's all it's all in there at Lots the same variations. time. I think that's how many he's written. Yeah, yeah. You're probably <laughs> right. Let's play some Dylan Thomas. Yeah, it's a good song. It just drives the whole time like that. <laughs> yeah, I I like the I like this this pairing for sure. I really like Phoebe already. I've already liked Oberst already. So putting them together, it was kind of a no brainer that I was gonna like it. But I think that that was kind of the dynamic shift that he needed for his solo career to actually start making a difference. Is that he is able to be paired with someone who he works really well with too. And so his voice doesn't necessarily... Because I think that one of the issues that I take with the solo work and the work that he does in other areas, not that it's bad, but that it just kind of feels same-ish after a while. It's like, I yes, I all right, Oberst, I've heard you. I've heard you many, many times. I know this voice. I know this. It sounds... It well, is he, what it is. He made the right move then. That's this is that, this what this reminds me of is Kurt Vile and Courtney Barnett coming out together to do yeah, their thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a very similar feel. And a lot of people got a little bit bored with Kurt Vile stuff. I, I I could understand why. Not that I have a problem with Kurt Vile, but I right. could see why someone would eventually say, Kurt, you're doing kind of the same thing over and over again. We get this whole like psychedelic folk thing. That Mac, Mac DeMarco could be accused of that as well. Oh, yeah. He tried to do something. We're getting yeah, off topic. If you, right. if you don't know whether uh, Phoebe can sing or not, you can get on there, the old YouTubes, and look up Connor and her doing Shallow. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. She belts it, man. Oh, boy. She's, 
And we would be remiss uh, not to bring up the fact that Bright Eyes has a Christmas album. It does. I would. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) And you know how much our podcasts love Christmas music. I love one Christmas album. Hanson's. No. Oh, yeah. Bad Religion Christmas. Yeah, I know. His Christmas album is... is, If you like Christmas albums... Are they Christmas? It's good. I like... Did he write... Uh, a Christmas album, or did he do renditions? It's like a mix. Well, he just did songs. traditionals. But the 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 thing about it is, he professes. I mean, he grew up. He went to a Catholic school and all that. But he doesn't consider himself. He, yeah. He's that's he, how I feel know, about Bad Religion's album. And yet he puts out this deep. You know, if you listen to it, you're like, man, this guy really believes this stuff, but he doesn't. <laughs> that's funny. He's had a blue Christmas since he was 13 years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that um, shallow? Was that at Brooklyn Steel, or is that on the Tiny Desk? That you were oh, I, I, the live one is the, the live one. Yeah, okay. that's the one I They're saw. Both going to be the live. Tape. I didn't know there was a tiny desk one. All right, Phoebe. Yeah. There's a, I can, I'm seeing now that Better Oblivion Community Center did Easy Lucky Free at KXP, and I will have to watch that when we get done. Mm. Apparently, I'm not done listening to all of Connor Oprah's mm. stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that that's everything that I've got. Does anybody else have I like uh, I like the line, while my uh, mother waters plants, my father loads his gun. That's a good line. That is a good line. That's a great line. There's some that's really interesting one. quotable lines. Like, again, like, I really liked the line from road to joy where he says uh my parents had both had their religions but sleep in separate houses yeah. i was like that's a really interesting like like line that's very like clear about divorce like mm-hmm. it tells a story in a very short period of time i also have uh the the killers did a very wonderful cover of my favorite song from bright eyes four wins oh did they uh, you don't have to play it but go out and find it if you like the killers and you like bright eyes Boom. Find that song. My my close second song was actually off of Wide Awake. It's the Landlocked Blues. Landlocked Blues. That's yeah. a good song, too. Yeah. That is a good one, actually. Yeah. I will, also stood out to me, too. I will say, this is, I think, my biggest thought about Bride, like the, uh, as a big closing thought, is that they're very much a group where, usually, other than I'm Wide Awake, where it's songs and not necessarily full albums where you get a lot of really, really good songs off of an album, but you don't necessarily have a cohesively perfect album. But there's always, there's always, always, always each album, at least one to two songs, I think, that really, really stand out and like feel like really important songs. If you kind of picked up a theme with me, it's probably that the, my favorite ones of him are just him, a guitar, and just belting out his whole emotional life right onto the right. into the microphone. Right. And if he would maybe just do a little bit more harmonica. <laughs> well, I get a whole album of it if I want to yes, hear it. Yes, you do. You do get a whole album of it. You can't beat the harp. Also, uh, really... the harp. I love... That's really funny Ugh. that you brought that up. Hold on. I actually, like, simultaneously have been listening to... Um, Joanna Newsom. Oh, really? With 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 listening to to <laughs> yeah. Brian for no particular reason, I have been listening to both of them simultaneously, which is partially why I didn't get through all the Bright Eyes because I was also listening to a bunch of Joanna Newsom. 
we're gonna have a two and a half hour long album yeah mm. it's gonna take me a minute to get through all this stuff mm. is so, that what you so said about, about half of the swans, swans album, album. <laughs> <laughs> you both said it at once that, that was so good. I knew where he was going. I was already going. I looked right at him. I'm, I'm so, gonna line I'm it so right up. predictable. All right. Are we well, ready? I was going there too. I also so. uh, like the song. Oh. I like the song. Yes. Eagle on a Pole. There's two versions yeah. of it. One on yes. the Connor Oberst album. The other one on the Mystic Valley album. The Mystic Valley album uh, version is very good. So find that too if you guys like uh, this this singer and songwriter man. Yeah. And uh, we got to give a shout out to uh, Harley who gave us uh, the suggestion. Yeah, let's hope she still likes our podcast. Yeah. I don't know. We I did, don't even like it. Hopefully, we didn't so. do you dirty. So, all right, that was smart. Wow. Good job, Jared. Hey, I, uh, thanks for letting me join in. Thanks this for was, being this on. This was show. wonderful. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad, that, and I'd like to have you back. We'll just have to figure out. But I, I'd, it'd be a while because beer. I, I want to hear. I like I like listening to him. It's I'm torn because I like right. I like being surprised by what I hear, and I'm not going to be surprised on this one unless they edit. Like it totally. I'm gonna everything. make you sound like a big dummy the <laughs> yeah. whole time. Whole I'm gonna just cut out thoughts. Yeah. So just uh, you'll just say like three words, and then it'll be a long pause. You're like, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna close okay. out. I don't have any more to say, so that's I'm, good. I'm gonna close out. Good, Jared. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. We've been listening to Bright Eyes this week talking about Connor Oberst, and next week we're going to be talking about Foo Fighters. David seems surprised. Tune in.